so we went through the last couple of midweek services we went through some disciplines that keep us from temptation we went through 10 disciplines that keep us from keep us that help us to beat temptation but we also have to understand with those disciplines that there is also spiritual warfare that goes on so with spiritual disciplines what we're doing is we're crucifying our flesh and disciplining our flesh to do certain things so that we can overcome but we also have to understand that there's certain spiritual matters that you can't discipline you have to cast out or you have to take dominion and authority in a spirit realm over again you've heard me make the example that there's certain things that you have to handle that way you have to you have to if it's a mechanical problem you can't handle that with medicine it's a mechanical problem. You have to work on it as a mechanic. If you're having a medical problem, you can't work on that with tools um, and, and, and mechanical things. You have to work on the body with medicine. There are things in the spirit world that you will only be able to work on in the spirit. You can't medicate the spirit world. You, can't, you can medicate the body that is involved in this spirit world, but there is a very real, very dark, and very light spirit world at work. And so we have to have understanding that we are navigating through this. Um, and so today uh, in Matthew 6, we're going we're gonna to talk about this and some other passages. Matthew 6, starting at verse 5, I'll read out of the King James today. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut the door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard of their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask him. After this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I'm not going to continue into the Lord's Prayer. That's a message for another time. Let's pray. Jesus, we ask that you help us today, Lord, to get back into a, a culture of prayer. Lord, to reestablish the very things that when we gave our hearts to you initially, Lord, that we gave ourselves to prayer. Help to, Lord, to restore that craving that we have, that craving, Lord, to just simply to be in your presence. Lord, to go into those secret places, to go into those places that are just intimate with us and with you and where we're walking with you in the cool of the day. Lord, recreate, Lord, and, and, and renew that craving in us to be in your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Look at somebody near you. Let them know you're glad they're here today. And you can be seated. He gives us some hints here of what we should be and what we should not be. 
And so he says here in this passage that, that the hypocrites, that, that they love to pray standing in their synagogues and their churches and in the corners of the streets. They like this public prayer. Now, there's certainly nothing wrong with corporate prayer. As a matter of fact, later this week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we will meet here at 7 o'clock and we will have this kind of prayer. We will have corporate prayer. But we're doing that, understanding the value of it. Hopefully, that's just not the only time we pray. Hopefully, we're not just doing that just so people will think we're people of prayer. Hopefully, when we come here together, it will be an extension of what we really do on our own when we are, in fact, praying in secret. He says here that the hypocrites, those that, that project and, and profess to be one thing, but are something else. That's what a hypocrite is. You're telling me what to do, but you do something different. He's saying here that these hypocrites stand in public places and pray and give these great prayers, but that's not who they are on the inside. And it says here that they do this, that they may be seen of men. It is much more important what God thinks of you than what any other person thinks of you. I think it's important to have a good reputation. I think it's important how people view you. I, I think you should not have the attitude that I don't care what anybody thinks. However, I do think when it comes to you being right with God, that that takes priority. A number of years ago, God asked me a question. He said, are you willing to do my will at the risk of being misunderstood? All of us would say yes to that. I did. I had no idea the cost and the price that would come to me and us um, after I decided that, yes, Lord, I would do your will and what price that would cost me, especially somebody that really tries hard to have a good reputation and really felt like through the years I have done my best to do so. And to know that in a misunderstanding, something that was misunderstood, something that I did not do, but something that was said about me and us, um, got traction, and it affected many of the relationships uh, that we have. And so with this, um, the Lord told me before I made the decision to do what God asked me to do, He asked me, are you willing to do my will at the risk of being misunderstood. In other words, I had to understand that there were going to be times that I would be right with him and maybe, maybe not be right with others. I would rather that. I still know that myself and my family did the will of God and did exactly what the Lord wanted me to do. And it was, in fact, confirmed even years before I was asked to do this certain thing. Um, but it was, it was definitely the will of God, and it still is the will of God. With that being said, I would rather be that than to make everybody happy, which is impossible, by the way, in case you've ever tried that, um, to keep everybody happy and then have God not be okay with me. You see, these people, they would go to the corners and they would go to the churches, and it says to that they would be seen of men. They wanted to project that they were holy men and holy people and righteous men. And yet, um, the Bible says that they will have their reward. Much of that reward is whatever compliment they got at that moment. 
That's as far as it was going to go. They were not going to get any spiritual, any eternal reward. Reward. They were going to get whatever compliments that anybody was going to give them locally or personally. That's the compliments they were going to get. Enjoy it because that's your reward. My father-in-law, when he would hear people talking about how much they pray, and, and, and not, not that they were discussing prayer time, but they were just, you could tell that they were kind of bragging or talking about their fasting time. He would kind of walk away. Sometimes if, if I was in that situation, uh, we'd walk away and he'd say, well, I hope you enjoyed that right there because that's the only, that's the only value or benefit they're going to get out of that because they were wanting praise and glory for that prayer, for that fasting, for whatever the sacrifice they were doing. What he was trying to get me to understand is if you do that, if you're that kind of person, enjoy whatever compliment and accolade you're going to get right there because that's as far as that's going to go. They do this that they may be seen of men. And then he says, Verily I say unto you that they have their reward. But you, when you pray, enter into thy closet. Now he's saying, he's not saying don't pray publicly. He's saying if you do it to be seen of people, it has little value. But go to your closet, go into a secret place. And thy father which seeth thee in secret shall reward thee openly. If you have a private prayer life, your ministry will be public. The things that you do will be, will be in public. It will be done in open. Now, you can't do it in secret hoping that you'll be praised in open because it doesn't work that way. Because he still knows the motive. But what happens is... When we are like Adam and walking with God in the cool of the day and spending real time in prayer, real intimate time in prayer, then things begin to happen. There becomes an anointing. There becomes the favor of God. There becomes a relationship with God. As you are in relationship with Him, as you are walking through your day, you start to sense and feel and know the will of God. I had some guys recently that were ministers and they were talking about do you have minister friends and you know of course everybody said yes and he said do you know how they like their coffee and we thought well that was a bizarre question what he was really asking is have you been with that friend that minister that you call a friend have you been with them enough to know what they like if so then you probably really are a friend if you don't even know how they like their coffee, if you don't like know what they like on their pizza, if you were to go get something to eat, you don't know what they like or dislike, then you probably are not really good friends. You're probably just acquaintances that you know each other and you have a friendly relationship. We can get to a place where we know the heartbeat of God. We can get to a place with God where we are in a situation and we feel grieved. And really, you have no connection to the scenario. You don't even know the people, but something in you is starting to grieve. What is that? That is, the, that is God grieving for that situation. Consequently, there's sometimes that you would celebrate within yourself because you feel like that would make God happy. But when you pray, pray in secret. <clears throat> There should be times where it's just you and the Lord and everything else is shut out. 
where it's not something that somebody else has orchestrated or somebody else has, has, has facilitated, but just you and Him. And He will reward you openly. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. Now I lay me down to sleep. That's a great prayer if you're teaching your child how to pray. But if you're in your 40s, God is great, God is good. If you're still praying that way, you need to move more into relational prayers. Be a little bit more specific. Let it come more from your heart and not just a vain repetition. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not therefore likened to them. For your Father knoweth the things that you have need of before you ask. And then he begins to go into the Lord's Prayer. Again, a great prayer. A lesson, a, a message for another time. Last week we looked at Psalm 91, 1 and 2. We looked at 2 Chronicles 7, 14. The, the, the Psalm 91, 1 is, He that dwelleth in the secret place. That should be a place that we have a secret place with Him. A secret place in my house, a bunker, a place out in the shed. No, that's not what I'm talking about. It's, it's, and it may not exclude that. There may be a private place that you go and, and, and get away. The prayer closet is not necessarily just a place where you hang your clothes that you also go in and pray. It's just a, a prayer closet was just commonly just a place that was a, a, a place that you and the Lord get alone. If you got a big enough closet, go for it. But just a, a private place, a place in secret. He that dwelleth in the secret place. Well, how do I stay in that closet? How do I dwell and live in there? That's not what this secret place is about. It's a time where it's just you and it's a private place. Everybody say private. It's a place that you and him, it's not over the dinner table in front of the meal. You should do that. You should pray for your food. It's not when you go to bed at night, you should do that. But it's, it's, it's a time where you and the Lord are in a very private scenario. And he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow, under the protection, under the care of the Almighty. And then in Second Chronicles, we also did last week, uh, talked about uh, Chronicles, Second Chronicles uh, 7, 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. We talked about the importance of seeking him and not the stuff. People that seek somebody for their stuff, we call a gold digger. I don't want to be that way with the Lord. I want to seek him, and I think he wants me to seek him. Certainly, he sought me for me because I didn't have any stuff. And so the least I could do is to want to love him enough to just want to be with him, regardless if I get my healing that I'm praying for, regardless if I get the financial blessing I'm praying for, regardless of any of these things I may be praying for, whether I have it or whether I'm not, whether I, Paul said, I, whether I have or I've been abased, that, that I know in all things how to be content. I want to know how to be in his presence and be comfortable in his presence no matter where my life is. Psalm 27, 7 through 9 says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou saidest, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. 
Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. Again, seeking his face, seeking relationship with him beyond the stuff that we prayed for. God, help us to understand that if he were to have our prayers logged, how many of my prayers were relational and how many were prayers for the church, prayer for people, prayer for sick needs, prayer for our nation, prayer for, prayer for things that I want, things that I would like to have. How many of those things were asking God for something and then how many of those prayers were just getting in his presence? How many of those things were asking him what I can do for him? How many of those were asking him to, to mold me and shape me into the vessel that he wants me to be? Over 20 years ago, I was in a prayer meeting in Dublin, Dublin Ohio with uh, some ministers. Most of them were pastors. It was very odd because after about 20 minutes or so, maybe 30 minutes, I couldn't seem to break through. Now, that's a real, you know, churchy term we use, you know, uh, pray through, break through. All I can tell you is this. I just felt like I was talking to myself. Anybody ever went into a time of prayer and just felt like just I'm wasting my time? I'm just, I got words here, but I don't think I'm moving anything. I don't think anything's happening anywhere. It's just words. Just, it's just flat. That's what I felt like. And here I am with all these great men of God area pastors in the Columbus metro area and I'm in this prayer meeting I just and I just stopped I was just perplexed I was like I know how to pray I have a relationship with God I think I was even already pastoring here at that point I was already pastoring in Circleville I was already a pastor I've already been to Bible school I'm a minister I know how to pray that's what I'm trying to tell you and yet I I just felt like it wasn't going anywhere I realized that I was using a lot of prayer language. You know, that stuff that you usually say when you go to prayer. You see, when we get a little older, it's not, now I lay me down to sleep. That's way too elementary. But we do find, if, you're, if, we're, if we look, if we observe, we sometimes find that we do still have kind of our same repetitions too. It's not, now I lay me, it's not a quoted rhyme it's 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 more of the things that we that we kind of just slip into we slip into a pattern of how we typically pray uh, how we typically pray that we start to recite kind of the same things and if we're not careful we're just about as guilty as the little child that never breaks out of the now i lay me down to sleep prayer except it's just a little bit more vast what the lord was showing me is that I was doing vain repetitions like Matthew 6 and 7 that we just read. Uh, that, that, that I was praying things that I, I commonly said in prayer, but, but I stopped and realized that that's what was going on. And I was saying some good things. But it was still things that I'd probably said before, lots of times in prayer. When I realized that was the case, I, I, I just stopped all the prayer things and, and all the big words and some of the theological terms that I used. And, you know, some people are really good about praying in the King James. My pastor, Brother Davis, was a master at prayer. I used to, he used to have these such fabulous prayers that I would just like listen to him pray. 
and just kind of be like, yeah, what he said. For me, but that's, yeah, that's, yeah, right, right there. That's, that's me too, right, what he said right there. Because he was, you know, thou art the rose of Sharon. Thou art the bride and morning star. I wasn't even sure what the rose of Sharon was. Is it a spice? Is it a flower? I don't know, but it sounded good. So, God, you must be that. You're good. Thou art my strong tower. Yeah, I'm, that, that too. God, that's good too. It, it didn't work for me. You see, that was Brother Davis. He was an English major. He had his bachelor's or master's in English. And so that was out of his heart. That wasn't out of my heart. I was a kid from the west side of Columbus that didn't get that great of grades. So I went back to how I normally talk to people. And so as I'm talking to you now, I promise you, I just started saying, God, I need you. You're wiser than me. You're stronger than me. Even when I think that I know what I'm doing, you know sometimes I don't. When I started talking to him, Real. Look at your neighbor say, keep it real. When I just started talking like I normally talk and started talking to him. Now, there is a time to cry out to God. Right? We're going to talk about that later on in the week. There is a time to shout unto God. There is a time to lift your voice. There is a time as corporate prayer, we got to do battle in the Spirit. There is a time in your prayer closet, you're going to be doing battle in the Spirit. You're interceding for somebody. But I'm not talking about intercessory prayer right now. I'm going back to the, all those other prayers that I talked about last week, those 19 other types of prayer. I'm still focusing on relational prayer because if we get this right, we'll do all the other ones in a, in a, in a great measure. But we can never be the intercessors God has called us to be if we're not in relationship with Him. We can never have the prayers of supplication and, and asking for things and getting answers if we don't have relational secret place. I love you, Lord, prayers. We've got to get, that is the basis of it all, relationship. And so when I got away from this big prayer, we got other ministers here, and I don't want them to let them, I don't want to have them hear me how basic I pray compared to all these great men of God. But when I did that, I promise you, it's like I got swept right up into the throne room of God. I got swept right up into His presence. I felt the presence of God. I had, I had His full attention, and He had mine. When I got relational, and in my heart was no longer just saying words, but in fact, I was praying. And I was in his presence, and I was talking to God. Do you realize what I just said? That we have the ability to actually talk to God. I, I've, I've had the, the honor, the privilege of praying in front of the governor. I didn't get a chance to talk to him. They ushered him in a side door. 
I got up, did my thing, sat back in my seat. As soon as they were done, ushered him out. I never got an audience with him. He doesn't know my name. Whatever, whatever famous put Ryan Day doesn't know me. I can't get an appointment with him. Any politician, any famous person, doesn't matter how much you may worship your favorite artist, your favorite singer, your favorite movie star, your favorite athlete, they probably will not book an appointment with you. It doesn't matter if you're their number one fan. And yet I have the honor and the privilege of having an audience with God? And I squander it? Think of whatever person that would, that would just randomly, it's like a lottery, they're going to call one phone number, and all of a sudden it's your number, and, 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 and somebody's, somebody's uh, uh, name comes up on your phone, whatever athlete, whatever movie star, whoever, great politician that you adore, that you love, whatever that person is, that famous person, that, that, you, that their name comes up on your phone, you're like, yeah. <clears throat> Leave a message. We wouldn't do that. We'd be overwhelmed. We'd be showing our friends. And so we cannot, we cannot lose that. We cannot let the, the fact that we can talk to God become so common to us that we just blow it off. He could have made it to where I would have to spend a lot of money do a lot of things, earn my way to be able to get into his presence. Yet he didn't. The prayer of Jabez moved the hearts of, miss, of missionary John Hyde to pray with great faith. Expecting answers to his prayers, as a result, he became known as praying Hyde, and the world still feels the impact of his powerful life. Dr. J. Wilbur Chapman once wrote to a friend telling of praying uh, Hyde's uh, influence on him. He had been holding meetings in England, but the attendance had been disappointingly small. Then he received word that praying Hyde was going to pray down God's blessing upon him and his work. As a result of Hyde's powerful praying, the tide soon turned and the meeting hall became packed with people. At Chapman's first public invitation, 50 men received Christ as their Savior. Relating the story, Chapman said, We were leaving. I said, Mr. Hyde, I want you to pray for me. He came to my room, turned and locked the door, and dropped to his knees and waited five minutes without a single syllable coming from his lips. I could hear my own heart thumping, and beating, I felt hot tears running down my face. I knew that I was with God. Then with an upturned face, down with tears were streaming, he said, Oh God. Then for at least five more minutes, he was still again. And then when he knew that he was talking with God, there came from the depths of his heart such petitions for me as I had never heard before, I rose from my knees to know what real prayer was. 
the man that comes into his room and just stays still before the Lord. Says, oh God, and then waits another five minutes until he knows that he's in the presence of God and then begins to speak. The term house of prayer was not just penned in the New Testament. Luke is one of the Gospels that that records it. Luke 19.46, saying unto them, It is written, My house is the house of prayer. Most of the other pastors says, My house shall be called a house of prayer. I kind of like this one because he's just saying, It is a house of prayer. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Not what it's going to be. Not what it shall become. My house is a house of prayer. But you see, the Gospels, even though they record it, it's not the first time that it was mentioned. In Isaiah 56, 7, it says this, Even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them a joyful and make them joyful in, the, in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar. For mine house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. So this is nothing new, Old Testament, New Testament. The presence of God, the temple of God, the synagogue, the church is supposed to be a place where prayer is common. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. And here's what the Lord has for his people. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me and you shall go and pray unto me. And I will hearken unto you or listen to you. And you shall seek me and find me. When you shall search me with all your heart. That's when we all found him. When at some point we were done with ourselves and life was hard enough and the disappointment was there and the rejection, whatever, wherever we were in our life, and we said, God, if you're there, I need to find you. There are a few of those occasions that I've experienced where people have come to me ready to take their life and have said, Sir, I don't know if there is a God. I'll never forget Rick that came to the church when I was a youth pastor in Columbus. And we always had people from the bar next door coming knocking on our church, needing more money for booze and whatever. So they needed it for, for food, and then they turn right around and go back into the bar. So here's a guy looking rough, knocking on the door. I'm like, in my mind, here we go again. I probably even said it in my mind, here we go again. I open the door, say, can I help you? It was a rhetorical question. I knew what the answer was. Can I help you? I knew what his, can I have five bucks? Can I have some money? You know, my baby needs diapers. The, the stories I always heard. I open the door, sorry, Laura, I open the door and, and ask him, sir, can I help you? He said, um, sir, he said, I don't know if there is a God, but if there is, I need to find him. You talk about shocked. 
I'm in a church. I'm a minister. And somebody actually knocked on our door wanting to find Jesus. Go figure. Because it happens so rarely like that. I won't tell you his whole story, but he was in a lifestyle that was a sinful lifestyle. He had a $400 a week drug habit. He was living in a place with lots of other people that also had some of the same issues. And he needed to find God, and we helped him find God. And I'll never forget baptizing Rick myself. And praying with Rick at an altar and watching him receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. This is a real deal, folks. And I know some of us have been saved a long time, but don't forget what it was like when you went to bed at night not knowing if you weren't to not wake up. You weren't real certain where you were going to go. That is a reality. That's not some fairy tale. I wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be gambling my whole life and quit my career and quit all that to do what I'm doing if I didn't believe that God was real, heaven and hell is real, eternity is real. It's, it's, a, it's a deal. You will, you will experience it. Not, not, it's only real if you believe it. No, it's, we're going to face it. And so I want to get it right and I want to give it all the attention, this eternity thing that it deserves. So I prayed for Rick. He received the Holy Ghost, baptized him. I'll never forget baptizing him. Our steps were on this side. I, I baptized him from the back side of the baptismal tank and baptized him. When he came up out of the water, he wouldn't leave. He spun around. He just sat on the edge of the tank. I already knew his whole, whole life. I already knew his childhood. I already knew that he had an older stepbrother that sold him into prostitution as a little boy. I already know what some of those episodes look like because he told me in great detail. So I know why he was in the lifestyle he was in because he told me his past. And so with all of this, he's sitting on the side of the baptismal tank after receiving the Holy Ghost at the altar, baptizing him in Jesus' name, flailing all over the place when he came up out of the water. And now he's sitting on the side of the tank, and he's not talking to anybody. He's just sitting there. The steps leading down into the water, his feet still on the water, his baptismal robe on, and he's just taking it in. When he received the Holy Ghost, it was like somebody that had spoken in tongues fluently for years. I mean, you've heard people kind of stammer a little bit. This guy, it hit him, and it just was loud and fluent. After about 12 seconds of that, he stopped and looked at me. I said, just go, Rick. Just do it. Just, just do, do what you're doing. We'll talk about it later. And so he just kept, just went back to worshiping God and, and speaking in a heavenly language. And 
But he's sitting in that tank right now after watching this whole thing play out. And he sits there and he says, after silence, I'm just watching him, just figuring out what's going on in his head. He said, Bill, it's like honey in my mouth. I I can taste honey in my mouth. It wasn't the water, it wasn't the chemicals, trust me. God was giving him so many signs. There's plenty of scriptures too about honey and the sweetness and the relationship with God and the Spirit. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I watched a supernatural thing happen. Some of the things that we see like that is because of relationship. And then if we're not careful, we go into Christian mode, church member mode, believer mode. It's funny to go to a mall and watch couples. It's funny to, I don't, I haven't been to a mall in years, seems like, but before, before Amazon, we used to have malls. Um, it's a place where we used to go shopping and actually see and touch things. Um, instead of trying it on when you get, you get it in the package and then mailing it back because it didn't fit, anyway, or it didn't look anything like what you ordered, anyway. Um, but to watch couples in different areas of their relationship, you know, the dating couple, you know, they're giggling, they're laughing, they're holding hands, they're nudging each other. You know, they're, they're dating. And then you watch where they've been dating for a while, and they're talking a little bit more serious. They may still be holding hands, but they're talking a little bit more serious. And then there's, there's marriage, and you, you know marriage because they've got a stroller, and nobody's holding anybody's hands. Um, and then it gets past that, and the kids move out, and then you've been married 25, 30 years. You've had all these great anniversaries. And, and of course, you know it's true love because... He's sitting there on the bench with me, looking at the other people that are shopping. And so you're not even, or you're, you tell your wife this, and guys, I'm going to just, just, sorry, I'm going to rat us out. What you do is you say something to make her think you really love her, and you say, I'll just drop you off at the door. And that way you don't have to walk as far, and then... Um, just call me or I'll park where I can see you. That way you don't have to walk very far when you get outside. I'll just pull right up and, and the, the car will be warm or air conditioned for you. And then we can sit in our cars and watch the game. <laughs> or shop for tools online. Since we don't go to Lowe's anymore, we just have Amazon drop them off. But those phases sometimes are in Christianity, those phases of when we just we first came to the Lord, we were overwhelmed. I get to talk to God. God loves me that much. I feel his presence. I, I can't believe I get to feel his presence. And if we're not careful, 
I'm not saying it has to be this way because the truth of the matter is I, I, I feel like my relationship with my wife has, has grown further than our dating relationship. There are so many venues and avenues that are still we have to learn about God. I don't care how long you've been serving God. Don't think you've arrived yet. Don't think you've achieved some kind of plateau that, yeah, I'm pretty good. Compared to what? Compared to the depths and the, and the, the vastness of God? Maybe compared to some of the people you run with or some of the people you know or some of the people you work with that don't know God at all. But do you really think you've, you've achieved something or is there still so much more to learn and so much more to do? Proverbs 8, 17 says, And I love them that love me, and those that seek me early, also diligently in another translation, those that seek me diligently shall find me. Limitations 3.25, The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. Acts 17.27-28, They should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him, and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also as your own poets have said, for we are also uh, his offspring. Some of you will remember the book a number of years ago from Tommy Tenney called The God Chasers. I have just a couple of quotes for you today as we're beginning to close. The musicians want to make their way. He says this in his book, There is much more of God available than we have ever known or imagined. But we have become so satisfied with where we are and what we have that we don't press in for God's best. Worship and spiritual hunger make you so attractive to God that your circumstances cease to matter anymore. He will move heaven and earth to find a worshiper. When you begin to worship with all of your being and desire, your heart turns uh, toward him and him toward you. You capture his attention and you attract his affection. It goes on to say that he's looking for people who are hot after his heart. He wants a church of David's who are after his own heart, not just his hand. You can seek for his blessing and play with his toys. Or you can say, no, Daddy, I don't just want the blessings. I want you. I want you to come close. I want you to touch my eyes, touch my heart, touch my ears. Change me, Lord. I'm tired of me the way that I am. Because if I can change, then the cities can change too. I want us to stand today. Okay, so pastor, the million-dollar question, so how do I get close to him? If I'm not close enough, or maybe I've veered, maybe I've gone through the patterns too much, and maybe I'm not where I should be, now what? Okay, I'm convinced. What should I do? Well, it can happen this week. In fact, it can happen today. There's a very simple passage that simply says this in James chapter 4, verse 8. Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. In other words, all you have to do is make the first step. 
It doesn't matter if this is your first time in a church. You might be like Rick. and Just say, I don't even know if there is a God, but if there is, I need to find him. You might be somebody that's been serving God a long time. Maybe you've had titles and positions in the church, but you just don't feel like you're as raw in your relationship with him as you have been in the past. Just take another step towards him today. Tomorrow. Well, we don't start fasting till Tuesday. Well, you can still take a step tomorrow. Eat up all your leftovers. Eat them quick. But draw close to God. As you do that. Well, I don't feel it yet. You may not. I promise you, you do it enough, though. You know, there's a very strange thing that happens. That movie stars that are happily married go on the set to do a movie and they have a romance that's a part of the movie and then these two stars end up falling in love and leaving their families. It's very common. How does that happen? Because when you go through those motions enough, it starts to affect your heart. And so when you're telling somebody on the screen in rehearsal with cameras and lights everywhere, I love you. I can't live without you. You mean everything to me. And then there's a kiss scene, and then there's holding a hand, or there's a touch, or whatever. That, that starts to actually starts to do something on the inside. So it is not uncommon for somebody to have a romance in a movie that ends up with a real live romance because your heart starts to catch up with your actions. It's not always your, your heart first that makes the actions, although that happens too. What I'm trying to get us to understand is this, that if we just keep telling Him we love Him and we keep desiring Him and say, I want to draw closer to you and I want to be better and I want to get more in an intimate relationship, I want to be more in a secret place, I will promise you, the more that you say that, the more that you will start to feel it. And the more you feel it, the more you will say it. And then that cyclical effect begins to take place. But you've got to draw nigh to Him. You've got to make those first steps. And everything else begins to fall into line. Focus on God himself rather than on what you want from him. Make your main goal while you are praying to simply enjoy your time with God. When I, when I started working on this myself, it was, uh, it was amazing how quick I wanted to go into asking for things. And I'd have to stop the conversation say, Lord, I love you. Is there anything you want to talk to me about? Is there anything you want to share with me? Because I found so it was so easy in my patterns to go back to asking for things. Enjoy your time with God. Look forward to getting into His presence just to get into His presence and just to be thankful. Thank you, Brother Helms. You reminded us today during prayer before service to just be thankful. Thank Him for everything. Thank Him for the food. I don't like my job. Thank the Lord that you have a job. I want a better house. Thank the Lord for the one that you're in. All these things, be thankful for what you have. Enjoy your time with Him. Pray to get to know Him better instead of ways to try to get answers for your needs. 2 Corinthians 6, 18, I will be a father to you 
and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. That's how he views us. If you have kids and you love them, if you don't love them, it'll be hard for you to make this connection. But if you do love your kids, that's how the Lord feels about you. He wants to be with you. He wants to spend time with you.